Naledi Muleo on SAFM. It's five minutes after seven. Good evening to you. Welcome to the talk shop here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm with you until nine o'clock. That's when Nancy Richards will take over from our Cape Town studios. This evening she's bringing you the Enviro Show. So we have two hours together and we'll, I think we'll have a really good time in the next two hours. We'll, we'll start off with chatting to our mover and shaker. His name is Ludwig Marishane. He's the inventor of the dry bath. He's also the MD and founder of Head Boy Industries. He's in the studio with me. Uh, you'll chat to him in a moment. And then at 25 to 8, um, we're talking uh, to Mika Reddy, Right to Know's Media Freedom and Diversity Organizer, talking about the Media Transformation Summit um, summits, in fact, that are taking place across the country. The first one having already happened uh, in Cape Town. Two more still coming up. We'll find out what is coming out of those summits and um, views that are coming from right to no one, whether or not media officials are telling reliable and truthful stories. After 8 o'clock, we'll move into our relationship corner. We're talking narcissistic relationships. Um, how do you know if you are in a relationship with someone that is, you know, quite uh, full of themselves, perhaps. And, <laughs> and how does that actually affect your relationship? Feel free to call in and share your own stories. It could be fun, uh, and we could learn quite a bit as well. 0891-104-207, or send your SMSs to 34701. And then it's that time of the year that parents are a little bit worried about because the children's reports are going to come home, and we need to figure out how to react to these reports. So Monique van Heerden is the educational practitioner at EduBlocks. Monique will talk to us about assessing your child's school report, what parents uh, should look out for when going through those reports. All right, so feel free to tweet me at Naledi Muleo or tweet at SAFM Radio and I'll share your thoughts with the listeners. Let's chat to our mover and shaker, Ludwig Marishane, the inventor of the dry bath MD and founder of Head Boy Industries. Ludwig, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Good to have you with us. Um, I've, I've actually been watching the work that you've been doing for the past two years. I think you've been, you know, making the rounds in the media and people really telling your story for a while. The the, the idea of this young man who who invented something because when he was 17 years old had a friend that didn't like to bath. Mm. <laughs> Tell us that story. Um, so, yeah, it was essentially growing up in Limpopo. A um, friend of mine, we had to go run an errand. He had to shower. And essentially, he happened to say, why doesn't somebody invent something I can just put on my skin and I don't have to bath? And I thought, hey, I I thought it actually existed. So I thought, oh, that would actually be pretty cool. Mm. I'd pay some good money for that. And in researching it, I found that, oh, actually, the closest thing to it was some American product that's been around for 20 years. And essentially, their solution was a liquid soap that you add to your bucket water when you're bathing with the bucket bathing method. Mm. And essentially, it would get rid of the need for you to rinse. So that was their solution. They call it no rinse. And I looked at that and I thought, hey, but I still need to get naked. I still need water. I still need to boil water. That doesn't really solve my problem. So I had to spend about two to four years actually developing the solution that we have now. So what is the dry bath? Explain what it is. So dry bath is a gel that cleans your body without the need for water. So ideally, 
we had to go figure out what does it mean for people to be clean. And we actually figured that most people would say we need uh, to remove body odor, you need a change of clothes, you need perfume, all these different things. You need water, you need to feel water on your skin. And then we looked at all those five major things and said, which one is actually most important? Are they all equally important? And we found that actually odor removal was the main activity for getting clean. That's how people define getting clean. So when you say, I feel dirty, you don't rub your skin and then say, here's dirt on my skin, I Mm. need to go shower. You basically smell your armpits and say, I stink, I need to go shower. And we realized that as a society, we've developed a habit of bathing simply as a way to remove body odor. So it's almost like any time we need to get rid of body smell, Showering or bathing is the only way we know how to. Mm. Yeah. So essentially with dry bath, we created a gel that removes full body odor. So it removes the need for you to bath. And the reality is you shouldn't be bathing or showering every day. Are you serious? You shouldn't be bathing or showering every day. You don't wash your hair every day. No, of course not. Because it dries out. Yes. So the same thing happens to your skin, except with your skin, they can sell you a 100 rand lotion that extra moisturizes and repairs the damage that they've just caused to your skin in the shower. Whereas with your hair, they can't sell you that. So you have to tell yourself, oh, my hair does get dry. There's no product that moisturizes it as quickly. Mm. So I have to wait two, three days or even a week before I wash my hair. That's what most women do. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to open up the lines because I'm sure um, there are many questions that are going to come for you. And then we'll we'll talk about which came first, Dry Bath, Head Boy Industries, and what Head Boy Industries actually is after this. All right. As a consumer, you are vulnerable to a lot of injustices, dismissals, fraud, abuse, theft, just to name a few. We at Yunungunavaku are here to equip you with information that will help you from falling victim to those injustices. Join me, Sipiwan Zawumbi, and Alicia Jali on Yilugalulako, Fridays at 1.30pm on SABC1. The city of Johannesburg will host the 7th AfriCity Summit from 29th November to 3rd December 2015 at the Sentin Convention Center. This is a platform for in-depth exchanges on topics such as decentralization, infrastructure, food security, urban safety and carbon emissions. Network with mayors, ministers, local authorities and representatives from the private sector, civil society and academia. Register now on AfriCities2015.org. Joburg, a world-class African city. The Eastern Cape Economic Symposium under the theme Tackling Provincial Competitiveness, Turning Possibilities into Reality will take place on the 27th of November at the East London ICC. The annual event has over the years become a platform where key stakeholders take stock on the economic imperatives of the province and positioning of the Eastern Cape as catalyst for investor uh, confidence. Topics to be discussed include industrialization presented by Deputy Minister of the DTI, Nzwandile Masina, the growth potential for the Eastern Cape, agri-industrial development and growing regional economies. The event is hosted by the Eastern Cape Department of Economic Development, Environmental Affairs and Tourism in partnership with Coega IDZ and the Eastern Cape Socioeconomic Consultative Council. All you shower superstars and school concert supernovas convinced that you'll be South Africa's biggest pop star yet? (laughs) Someone lied to you. You've been deceived. Do you know what it takes to be a superstar? It takes talent. A talent so special, so rare, a talent that you sadly do not have. To you I say, pursue your dreams, but do not pursue this one. If it's winning you want, pay or renew your TV license. It's the easiest way to win. 
Pay at one of the 10,000 outlets nationwide and you could win weekly prizes or a grand prize worth 50,000 rand between 1 November and 31 December 2015. SABC TV licenses. Pay yours. Stand a chance to win. T's and C's apply. Now Lady Muleo on SAFM. I was in partnership with Kuha IDZ, not Kuega. Apologies for that. You're still on the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We're chatting to our mover and shaker, Ludwig Marishane, the inventor of the dry bath uh, and also the founder of Headboy Industries. Headboy Industries, how did that get started? Um, so actually the company was started after I already came up with um, dry bath and essentially it was an evolution of seeing that there were a whole bunch of problems that we wanted to solve. So ideally, I said, I created dry bath to prove that a waterless hygiene category can exist on the retail market mm. and essentially build it and sell it to Unilever and all these guys because clearly they don't want to do it. They've, they've had enough time. And the next argument was, okay, if you're going to work in five, ten-year cycles solving different types of problems, you need to actually start a company that actually does that. So one of the other segments of our business that we do is called Excel at Uni. Mm. And that's a problem that arose simply from trying to commercialize dry bath was our difficulty in finding young university graduates who'd be keen to actually join the startup and be capable of performing. Okay. And yeah, as previously disadvantaged kids ourselves, myself and Lungelo, were both on bursaries to get to UCT. We're generally first in our families to go to university. And there were little tricks and uh, tricks of the trade and tips that we just never had simply because we had no one in the family who's ever been there. Mm. And we realized that we had been mentoring a couple of kids at university and realized that the knowledge is actually you could scale it easily if you could get corporates to jump on board. So we actually worked with Coronation from 2013, mm. got some of their bursary students, provided them with personal mentorship, um, pr- uh, private tutoring, etc., etc. So all the support that we provide, we did nothing new. We didn't inv- reinvent the wheel. We just did it better and made it accountable. So yeah. a lot of charities do the work, but no one's held accountable because everyone's a volunteer. And if mm. they don't feel like coming that Saturday, then nothing gets done and you're not going to shout at them because you still need them next Saturday. That's true. So what we did was we actually commercialized the whole model and pitched it to Coronation. At first, we got pushback saying... UCT provides so much support, it made no sense because we were duplicating efforts, but the manner in which we applied the efforts really worked. We managed to cut their drop-off rate by about 75% and actually increase their employability by 300%. Mm. And even when we looked at whether or not the candidates were more employable, we didn't just say, um, did Coronation hire them, but rather... Were other companies keen to buy them out? And that's actually something that's becoming even more and more common as we work with the companies. Their students have gone from just barely passing and not being able to get a job to eventually sorting themselves out and actually having multiple job offers by the time they leave university. And how many students have been through the program now? So with Coronation, we've done 15 students and we've got three more now in Johannesburg. So Mm. we've extended to UJ and UP. And it's been drastic at seeing how little support or little infrastructure there is at these other universities. We used to think UCT was bad, but UJ is a whole other minefield to try and provide support to these students. Yeah. It's almost like twice as expensive and twice as hard to actually get the same results out of out of the students there. And it's not because the students are less intelligent. Mm. It's actually because they just have less resources from the university in order to do what they do. Right. So one simple example is we've got a student doing second-year economics at UJ. She gets one lecture a week and one tutorial. At UCT, a student doing the same level course gets four lectures a week and one tutorial. And the tutorial is less than 20 students, whereas at UJ, it's 50 students or more. Mm. 
Mm. So it's really, really interesting dynamics. This is students who don't have the confidence to put their hand up in class and ask a question, let alone form a relationship with their lecturers. Yeah, that's brilliant work. But I want to I wanna take a few steps back because I want the focus to also be about you. Yeah. Um, judging from all the work you've done already, you are you're quite an inspiration to a lot of young people, some of those that have been through your program as well. But you talked about you know a, a background of being previously disadvantaged. Uh, tell me, tell me, who who was Ludwig before Hit Boy Industries and the dry bath? So Ludwig was a little kid who grew up in Limpopo. Um, his parents had him when they were 21, which was pretty young. Mum had to drop out of school, and effectively, um, what happened? I think they separated when I was about four years old, and eventually. Um, I lived with my mom in Limpopo, then I moved to Johannesburg to live with my dad. This was from grade two. I had to repeat grade two because my English wasn't good enough. So one of my oldest memories of school was my first day at HHI, which is actually here in uh, Highlands North. Yes. I got there and this girl, I bought a burger and she comes up to me and says, how much was that burger? And I actually had no idea what she was asking me. So I just repeated this question to her and said, <laughs> how much? And one of the, the odd things that my dad did that actually worked out well was he, I always say, abused me with books, which is a very positive mm-hmm. thing. So ideally, every day I came home, I had extra homework that I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically had to, I was the CEO of my education from that age. So literally every day at 7 p.m., I would present to my dad from the age of, what, eight, what I did before break, what I did after break, what I did after school, what I learned with the after school homework that he gave me. And that would be a 30-minute to a one-hour ritual that we did Seriously? every single day. Yeah. And yeah, went from the kid who didn't know what how much is to the point where I got into grade four, I was the top student in the school. Yeah. That's amazing. That's 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 um that's a real commitment to the success of your child and, and committing to it as early as possible. True. Um and I think at the same time he was good at it simply because that's his profession. So he's an HR uh manager. So one of the things that I think he already even knew was that the curriculum was going to change in 2005. This was back in 98. He already knew in 2005 we were going to do the How's whole that? OBE system. He was in HR, so I assume they had to be on top of what the education system was yeah. happening and what talent was going to look like in the future. And essentially, even the books that I was doing as extra homework in primary school were actually preparing me for curriculum 2005 that was actually the whole objective mm. so by the time the curriculum came in and i moved back to limpopo to live with my mom went to a basically tiny high school called dynamic high school in Khroblesdal. 10 classrooms really tiny so the ironic thing was it was a poor school so to speak but i had 15 students in my class so the ratio for teacher to student was actually 15 to yeah, 1 simply really because there were so many failures not necessarily because we were paying so much school fees so it was the opposite that you'd get in a Joburg private school mm. where you're paying 100k just to get that same ratio mm. yeah yeah and uh, did you know i mean at what point was you know hit boy industries or the dry bath part of the dream was it ever I think it started after I moved back to Limpopo. So when I was living with my dad, I was fairly fortunate. So as much as I say I'm previously disadvantaged, it's mainly also I was advantaged by virtue of my father. And at the same time, moving back to Limpopo and going to the school, I mean, I left Maryville College from grade 8 where I'd been performing really well, won a bursary, all these things, to move back with my mom and... I couldn't get a challenge from the classroom anymore. Mm. So I've always been a very competitive child. So when I got to the classroom in grade nine, the kids around me didn't know what they were reading. They 
they weren't keeping up to date. So I didn't get the same challenge. And mm. what ended up happening was I started becoming obsessed with business. And that was essentially the new outlet for me to take to take out my stress or my ability to challenge myself. Yeah. And it went from failure to failure, from trying to invent, invent a healthy cigarette, trying to publish a dictionary, um, trying to publish a magazine. So it was Which a whole bunch of other The first one was the, the healthy cigarette. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the healthy cigarette, I think, was in grade 10. I wasn't even a smoker. Yeah. Um, but the idea was I got into a taxi. A guy started smoking next to me. And since I'm educated and I know about secondhand smoke, mm. I thought something's wrong here. I need to get paid here. Um, and I went home and I tried to invent a healthy cigarette using tea as an alternative to tobacco. But it didn't work out because some American back in 1992 had already patented it. So it wasn't a new okay. technology. Okay. Yeah. But then it gave me hope in that sense. So the research I did showed me that someone else already tried to do this. And mm. to file the patent, they probably paid 50,000 rands. Mm. So when I thought about it, I was like, little kid, middle of Limpopo, managed to come up with the same idea. Mm. So clearly I'm good at coming up with good ideas. Let me just try something else. And the next one was? Uh, trying to publish a mobile dictionary. Yeah. So Mixit was getting really big. Um, so that's a while ago then. Yeah, that was a while ago. So parents didn't know what BRB meant. It was way back, <laughs> way back before parents were cool. And I put together a definition or dictionary with 3,000 definitions. And essentially, I tried to publish it through normal publishing houses. Didn't work out. I approached the cell phone companies and said, hey, when you sell the SIM card, you can sell this dictionary as like a marketing thing. Didn't work out. Mm. And eventually, I think I sold a couple of copies at school. It was actually my first idea that broke even. I sold mm. it at 20 rand a copy. Not bad. Not bad at Not all. Not bad at yeah, all. Yeah, on a budget of 50 rand a week, it wasn't bad. Okay, so now let's talk about the success story that is Dry Bath. How, mm-hmm. how well is Dry Bath doing? Is it, is it flying off the shelves? They, it's not on the shelves. Um, so we mainly still export Dry Bath. Uh, 90% of our sales go out of the country, even though we manufacture How's locally. That? Why is that? So it's, it's quite odd. So you had to, I think at the beginning when we started marketing the product, we were marketing it as a bath substituting gel and saying, use this, save water, don't shower, wada, wada, wada. And that wasn't a compelling reason, even to the people who came from a similar background that I came from. Mm. They were like, Ludwig, black South Africans from my background said, Ludwig, I grew up using the bucket bathing method like you. Um, I worked hard for my Giza. There's just no way yeah. I'm going to sacrifice my hot water <laughs> for the sake of saving water. And what we realized was even the international uh, customers basically said they liked the product, but they didn't want to buy it because it was cheap. So we were selling it for about five rand a sachet, so five rand a bath back then. And they thought, hey, you're from Africa. It's too cheap. And eventually what happened was we went back to the drawing board, increased the price to 40 rand a sachet, put it on the website, and started shipping, and they started buying it. So now our biggest markets are still the U.S. and Europe. Japan just became a huge market recently because of the huge water pr- crisis they're having. Mm. And I think this week we got our first order request for a quotation from the Department of Water Affairs. Really? So, yeah, it's quite interesting. So that was one of the things we actively chose to do was we're not going to knock on government's door and say, hey, hey, please, please buy it, et cetera, et cetera. The need was there. And we, as a very tiny startup that hasn't taken any funding from anyone, we mm. literally used competitions to fund the business, business plan competitions. We basically had to focus on the customers who did come. So whenever articles, we got a lot of media coverage. And whenever those articles were written, international counterparties to our government agencies would always pick up the phone and say, hey, can we get some of this? Can we use it? We shipped to the UN in Mali and Morocco earlier this year. Mm. And we always had that mentality that when 
any governmental institution is ready, they all pick up the phone. It's generally much easier to sell like that rather than us trying to shove it down their throat, if I use that word. But what is the what is the attraction internationally that perhaps isn't happening here? So how was it that you were able, aside from the price yeah. now? So look, I think the huge mileage we got was because of the social significance of the product. So we, I think for a good two years, from when I was in second year, third year, so this was 2011, we got a lot of a lot of publicity globally, and that was mainly on the social potential social impact of the product, mm. even though people weren't buying it. So people loved it and thought it was a cool idea, but no one was taking money out of their pocket and actually buying it. Mm. So when we finally went back to the drawing board and figured out how you position this product, it's actually an odor remover. That's what you're doing. You're removing odor. When you figured out, or when you did our research and figured out what's the compelling reason for you as a lady to buy dry bath, mm. that's when you started seeing a lot of traction. And even in the U.S., what we saw was the people buying it tended to be moms who are buying it for their kids. Mm. Something that my mom would have, I would have been crazy if I thought that because my mom hated the idea. But the logic was working moms don't have time to bathe their kids in the morning. They bathe them at night and the biggest worry is that the kid might stink at school. So that's actually what dry bath does for them. Cleans the kid in less than five minutes and they're fresh to go. And once we figured that out, we knew how to position it and communicate it to the South African consumer as a convenience product and now we actually have traction to put it on retail. But I mean, what's going on on the African continent and why you know are you are you struggling to to get uh, to get to get the dry bath to move further into the continent so as i said we've shipped more to the rest of the continent than south africa yeah. so that's still the the circumstance we've shipped more product to the rest of africa than in south africa which countries are really buying into it? so we've had mali we've had morocco we've been going back and forth with botswana because they have huge water problems there um and i think that's been the very interesting way of seeing it is most countries or markets become receptive to it when there's a water crisis in the country. But historically, we've had a deal fall through for India that was worth 30 million rand. And one of the key issues was price. So they wanted to retail it for one rand in India for a bath. Hmm. And there was just no way we could do that with the packaging that we have. So they weren't willing to budge on packaging. So in, in traditional cases, we've seen that with developing economies or the poor countries that we created this product for, the biggest challenge has been affordability in terms of actually making it affordable for the person to buy. Because we don't believe that selling it to charity. So we don't believe in charity as a constant form of sustainably solving the problem. The idea has always been we donate to charities that are doing humanitarian work. If there's a disaster, it's temporary assistance. Mm. But in order to make the product work and achieve its social impact, we need to make it affordable for that person to buy it for themselves. Right. Well, I'm going to open up the lines because your work is really fascinating. Give us a call if you have questions for our mover and shaker, Ludwig Marishane. The number is 0891-104-207. Again, 0891-104-207 or send your SMSs to 34701. Naledi on SAFM. It's half past seven. You're still on the talk shop and we're chatting to our mover and shaker, Ludwig Marishane, the inventor of the dry bath and MD and founder of Headboy Industries. If you have questions for him, give me a call. 0891-104-207. Jack is in Plett. Jack, good evening. Hi, good evening, and, and uh, I'm very impressed with you, Ludwig, really I am. I've just got a quick question for you in terms of the environmental impact of your product. Um, when I was in India, you know, Indian people don't use toilet paper, they, they use water. And a friend of mine also started using the water. I said, no, don't touch me, don't come near me. 
And she said to me, you know, in India, if people used toilet paper, they would, I mean, literally the forests of the earth would be decimated. Mm-hmm. So the market that you're going into is like more, as you said, the, the, the developing countries. So my question for you is, in terms of your packaging, uh, what impact does it have? And I didn't catch the start of the program, so I didn't hear exactly what your product consists of, but if it enters the water supply, what effect will it have, and how much has the, this kind of issue um, uh, uh, well, been part of your thinking process? Hmm. And I will listen on the radio. Thanks, Thank Jack. you. All right. Um, so it's actually interesting you asked that because that's one of the questions we had to ask ourselves, I think, back in 2013, just after I graduated UCT, was how would you actually distribute this in terms of really innovating how lotions or any liquids are, are distributed? Because a per-use sachet, as you said, wouldn't work in an environment like India. And it came down to one of the philosophies that we still hold, which is that just about every liquid that you are buying should actually be bottled in the store. So the same way that you, when you go to a township, everyone buys paraffin from the store, they go with their own bottle and actually buy the contents. That's actually always been our vision of how we would like dry bath to be distributed all over the world. A store or a tuck shop owner buys a 25-liter drum and everyone takes their own container to buy the dry bath and literally pays 50 cents on the liter, which is cheaper because the packaging has always been the most expensive part of it. And in terms of the ingredients, in 2013, we actually had to revert back to a natural formula, and it's something that has actually cost us our patent because it's almost impossible to paint any, patent anything that has natural ingredients mm. or that's based on natural ingredients with no artificials in, in, in it. And one of the key reasons we did it was to say in natural water streams, after someone has used dry bath, we wanted it to be fully biodegradable or not kill any of the fish and anything else included. And actually what we're currently doing this week is getting dermatological tests done to see if we can approve it for use on babies. Because we've seen that the biggest market has been moms who wanted to use it. And we've always limited it at an age of four years and older. Mm. And hopefully by the time we get the results tomorrow, I'll be able to say, yes, we can or we can't use it on babies. Yeah, well you should you should let us know what those results are tomorrow. Will do. Um, there's an SMS that says, "Where can I get the dry bath?" So currently, you'll have to buy it on our website. Um, just based on South Africa's recent water crisis, what we've been looking to do is actually approach corporates to come on to board. And one of the things we actually pitched, even when you approached the water Department of Water Affairs, was in a water crisis like the one we had in the past two weeks, water or personal hygiene is usually the biggest consumption of water that you're responsible for as an individual or that you can limit. So your average bath consumes 80 liters of water. Your average shower consumes 20 to 40 liters of water. And our pitch or our pitch to them was to say, if we can actually get dry bath out, our biggest limitation is not productive production, actually. It's the outlets where people can easily access the product. Mm. The easiest way right now is literally for them to order it online and we deliver directly to their house within two days. So that's been the easiest way of doing it, but it's not necessarily the cheapest way of doing it because the cost right now is about 30 rand a bath, including shipping to your house. Mm. So the website, headboy.org, that's the easiest place for you to get it right now if you want some immediately. Okay, we'll get those details again a little bit later on. What's, what's next for Headboy Industries? So get the product right, solve the problem. So I don't think we've fully solved the problem of waterless hygiene yet. Um, We've given ourselves three, well we gave ourselves five years two years ago, so we've got three, four more years of pushing this thing to its absolute limit before deciding to sell to whatever interest these parties are. And I think that's always been the philosophy. We've got 
a lot of problems. So my business partner and I can literally sit over coffee and debate for five hours on how you'd fix the banking system. And mm. then we leave the table and feel like we've got a solution. All we don't have now is a billion rands to actually go experiment yeah. and try it out. And that's always been our motto for making money. The reason we want to make a billion or 10 billion has always been so that we can do 10 billion rand experiments, not, mm. to, not to keep the wealth. So that's basically what's next for Headboy is once we get as much financial value from Grabath as possible, we're looking to uh, potentially revolutionize how banking works and maybe even how companies are structured. Yeah, Duncan wants to know if the dry bath can be used on animals. There are already dry baths for animals. Um, they don't call them dry baths. They call them dry showers. So different shampoos that you can use for dogs and cats. Uh, that's always been around for, I think, the past 10, 20 years. So easily you can find one of those online. I'm sure some stores or vets in South Africa stock those. But you don't know if your dry bath can? Yeah, we haven't tested it on animals. It's one of those things we just don't do. Okay. Um, and maybe just to, to talk to us about how it is. I mean, in 2012... You were the youngest patent holder in South Africa. Um, I've met so many young people that have brilliant ideas. You know, I have the idea, I've, come, I've created this, this, that, and the other. And yet those, they, they're never able to bring those ideas into fruition. What was it that, that, that made you figure it out? So I've been asked that question quite a lot, which mm. has forced me to really reflect on it. And I think it boils down to two things, really. And it's an obsession with solving your problem. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs in South Africa have been missing. And it's one of the things that worries me about how entrepreneurship is punted as the solution to all our problems, employment, etc. Whereas the reality is we are not creating a generation of problem solvers. Mm. First of all, kids who are good at maths and science, they can solve problems. Then you can teach them how to solve problems in a commercial way versus a medical way versus any other way they could have chosen. And I've always had the belief that the best entrepreneurs have always been engineers and scientists, people who know how to make things. Hmm. I'm just lucky in the sense that I started making this thing before I even had a qualification so I could afford to go study accounting instead of engineering or whatever. But it's always been one of my biggest regrets not doing an engineering degree. And another key thing, so besides an obsession with the problem. So find a problem that really matters to you and be obsessed with solving it before you worry about how you're going to make money from solving right. that problem. I think that's that's the juncture. Yeah. A lot of guys go into business to make money without necessarily knowing what problem they're even solving in the mm. first place. Secondly, as a kid who has very limited resources, your best advantage is your cell phone, your laptop, and the internet, and your ability to read. If you can sit down and read through hours and days and months of research to become the most knowledgeable person on that field, based on your access to information, mm. then I'm telling you that people will help you. My first assistance came from a partner at Smith & Van Vake, uh, Carl Smith. I sent this guy an email simply because he's the only email I could find on a website for patent attorneys, and it was back when I was working on the healthy cigarette idea. Mm. And I literally wrote them in this email. I said, look, I'm this little kid in the middle of nowhere. I've got this idea for a healthy cigarette. This is how much research I've done on this area and why I think it actually makes sense, and I need your help in figuring out, can, can I patent this thing? Yeah. And I think the only reason Carl even replied to that email and did a free patent search for me, which usually cost 3,000 rand, was based on me being able to evidence that I knew enough. I'd put in yes. enough effort. Yes. So I still get emails from young people saying, hey, Ludwig, I studied this and I'm, I'm in, I've got a really cool idea. 
Am I now supposed to figure out what that idea is? Do you understand? Do you know enough about your that's, idea? That's, yeah. that's the key thing. What the best the best emails of the best young people I've seen are those who have literally who are literally so obsessed with the problem that even I'm worried mm. about whether or not it's a good opportunity. But that's always the best first signal is when somebody has studied and and learned and read on the stuff. You thing get a lot of those so things. much. It's rare. It's mm. actually very rare, and, and it actually made me appreciate just how rare I was. And part of the reason I think I was able to do that and have that instinct to do research was because I was bored. And in today's age, there's Twitter right next to your 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 web browser. There's Facebook. There's Instagram. There's all these different things that can distract you. Mm. And I think it's much harder for you to just sit down, think, and actually do the research. The toughest things in life to do are to sit in silence and actually just think. Mm. There's a, a um there's an SMS here from Dawn that says, tell him to Google Kickstart and then call me. So we'll give you Dawn's number. Okay. And then you can call Dawn once you've Googled Kickstart. Uh, you did all of that research on your cell phone, um, which is absolutely fabulous. I mean, that says there is no excuse um, if you're sitting at home. Look, as much as I'm, I'm always wary of my story being used as a no-excuse reason for uh. other kids, and part of the reason is... As much as, yes, I didn't have a laptop, I used my cell phone, mm. I wrote my business plan on my cell phone and all those different things, the circumstance required me to do that. And at the same time, I've always got, it's, I never throw it out as a, you should also figure out, like you, you've got no excuse to do it. My big question to people is always find a problem that you like solving. Mm. And with other kids, I always remember that I had a Model C education throughout primary. That was also something that I could fall back on. I had a dad who was always trying to figure out a way to create value, and that's something I learned a lot from. So I had a household where it was very calm and quiet, and therefore I could always sit down and think in silence. There wasn't any family issues or family drama that was always distracting or causing me emotional strain. Mm. So as much as I always say, yes, technologically or resource-wise, you might not have an excuse, there are other things that you have to be cognizant of that are involved in each, each different individual. And my my push to people is always to say you need to figure out if those things are bigger than the challenge of you just focusing on trying to fi- fix your problem. Yeah. Yeah. You're a mover and shaker. That's 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 real. What are you reading now? Right now I'm still reading Elon Musk's um biography. I'm a big fan of biographies. Mm. Um, yeah, it's brilliant, eh? Uh, I think you could make like three movies out of that thing. Okay. Like three sequels just out of that guy's life. And part of the big philosophy that really comes out of the book is the obsession with solving a problem. Mm. Like the obsession with really saying, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Here's why it's significant to me. And this is what I'm willing to do to actually try and figure it out. And it's a very rare. It's, I think I'm very grateful for the fact that I can afford to be able to focus on my problem. And yeah. it's something that I know people my age, we've got black techs, we've got all these different things that are always hampering our ability and always be grateful for the ability to just sit down and focus on the problem that really you're passionate about. Yeah, that's the take-home message from our chat today. Ludwig, such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That for website again? The website is www.headboy.org, H-E-A-D-B-O-Y, or hit us up on Twitter at... Drybath Gel, D-R-Y-B-A-T-H, Gel, one word, mm. and we'll give you any feedback you want on the product. Ludwig Marishane, inventor of Drybath and also the founder of Headboy Industries. A pleasure chatting to you. Thank you.